0: The following is a presentation of WAER Sports, the original home of the Orangemen. Kind of mind blowing uh, that it went off so well and and, you know, I don't want to be uh, rude towards the fans, but I didn't miss them all that much. I actually (laughs) thought not having fans added a really fun and interesting element to the fights. I don't feel like we got a lesser product as a result of the fact that there were no fans.
1: They do so in in a day littered
2: with questions. They're on their way to the quarterfinals, if it happens on one of the wackiest days that you can possibly remember.
0: Fans, due to unforeseen circumstances, the game tonight has been postponed. You are all safe.
3: You have a favorite moment from calling that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, my favorite moment was uh, I would say uh, in well, it's the first time that mass start happened. Mass start uh, has been um, fondly described to me as NASCAR on ice. This is the only time that there's more than two on the oval at the same time, and uh, and it's just there are, there are sprint points every four laps. Like you get sprint points whether you're first, second, or third at that at that time but you have to finish first, second, or third in um, the entire race when it's over, like across the finish line in order to win. Um, so it, it was it was just pretty amazing because um, a South Korean skater ended up winning and making a pass uh, in the last lap. And of course it was in South Korea. This place is going absolutely wild. Bart Swings has the lead for the moment. Here comes Lee Sung Hoon and he'll take the lead goes and Koon Vervaya the Netherlands trying to get at it as well but right now Lee Sung Hoon with just 100 meters to go looks like he's gonna pull this off. Lee Sung Hoon coming around the final turn he's got 50 meters left Lee Sung Hoon wins it in South Korea he is your Olympic gold medalist in the first fast start in history um and just the place went absolutely nuts it was jam-packed it was the last day of skating and uh it was uh it was a very memorable way to, to to end the games
3: that's the sound of alex perlman and his experience with olympic speed skating perlman called the event for westwood one at the 2018 olympic games and as you heard the sport has something called a mass start. If you were to go on YouTube and you pulled up a video of one of these starts, it's chaotic. The pack glides together at the start, and the skaters dance in this way, jockeying for position. But by the end of the race, there's clarity. Clarity is what we expect from sports, a winner and a loser, and screaming fans. A couple months ago, everything stopped. And in some way, we're in the midst of our own mass start, looking for clarity. And today on TalkBack... We look at the restart, the chaos, and the things that come from it. Welcome to Talk Back. I'm Cooper Boardman. This week, we're going to talk with three people who are in different phases of their own restarts. None of the four major sports in the U.S. are going on right now, but UFC, Ultimate Fighting, is back. The Olympics have a date for 2021, and College Athletics is trying to figure out what its games and its departments will look like this fall. First, though, a reminder, subscribe to TalkBack on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, find us on Twitter at WAER Sports, and on SoundCloud, you can just search WAER. We start, though, with Ariel Helwani. Ariel graduated from Syracuse University in 2004, and to understand what he means to the sport that he covers, we welcome in WAER's Gil Gross. Before we hear Gil's conversation with Helwani... You know, I think it's important to answer this question, Gil. Who is Ariel Helwani in the world of mixed martial arts? Well, he's the Adam Schefter
4: of MMA. He breaks all the news. And not only that, um, he gives long-form interviews to MMA fans um, on his podcast. He's also a personality, a commentator. You really get so much out of him as an MMA fan.
3: We're going to hear a lot from him throughout TalkBack today. And one of the big topics is, is the topic in the world of UFC, and that's UFC 249. And in a world of sports that doesn't yet have baseball or the return of basketball or hockey, UFC and MMA is back. How did this come to be?
4: You have less people, less moving parts, such as the nature of an individual sport. The fighters are also independent contractors. There's no union. So just legally, it's easier to to come to terms with these fighters. Then you needed a state to sanction it, and you had Florida, uh, who actually wrote into their legislation that pro sports are essential work. So you had the... um, You had someone to sanction it. The athletes were down. And you had someone in Dana White at the head of the UFC who was extremely aggressive in wanting to be the first sport back.
3: My favorite quote from Dana White over the course of this time is, If you put me in a box telling me we can't, we can. And I think that is very much indicative of who he is as UFC president. But this is an event that didn't go without some hitches. There was a fighter and a couple of his cornermen, right, that tested positive for COVID nineteen.
4: Yeah, Jacare Souza, a Brazilian fighter, and two of his cornermen tested positive, and you know there was a little bit of alarm when when that news went down. It was a day before the event. Who else came into contact with Jacare? Who shook his hand? And I don't think we'll really know the answer to whether or not there will be real implications to that because this virus has such a long incubation period. Um, the UFC claims that Jacare was in isolation, but we, we kind of know that he wasn't. He went to the weigh-in. Uh, he, he did a face-off. So hopefully no one else uh, was a, a, uh, infected additionally.
3: Now, the UFC actually tried to come back in April. Ultimately, it didn't return until last week when the Florida State Athletic Commission sanctioned it. And with what we just heard from Gil in mind, Ariel Helwani was torn about whether the fight should even happen.
0: Even though they were on board, I still felt like, all right, let's wait and see what happens. You know, a lot of people were asking me beforehand, like, what do you think? How's it going to look? How's it going to feel? How's it going to be? Is it smart? And at that point, once we got to fight week, I was like, I just want to wait and see and talk to the people who are on the ground about the experience. Are they really testing you? Because if you may recall, the UFC was being very vague and coy about what they were doing. So are they testing? Are they doing the right kinds of tests? Are they going to be transparent with the results? Are they going to just test and then you know, throw out those tests? Or are they going to tell us who tested positive if they did? And how are they going to keep the fighters away from each other? And, and if I'm being honest, there were a couple things that I think they could have avoided. Like, I don't think it's necessary to have face-offs beforehand. And I don't think it's necessary to excuse me, be interviewing the fighters in the cage and certainly not shaking their hands afterwards. Like, these are just things that don't have to happen. Um, But all the fighters thought that it was great. Uh, They did media days, so they didn't block out the media. They weren't trying to hide from any of it. Um, And even on fight night, the way they scheduled things out so that not too many fighters would be at the arena at the same time. You know, everyone that I spoke to afterwards, from fighters to coaches to managers, you know, the third parties, if you will, All came back glowing and saying, you know, I would do it again in a heartbeat.
3: All of those conversations about media coverage and distancing athletes and testing, they're all the same conversations for every single restart. And that's true if you're talking about UFC or Major League Baseball. The wild thing here is that UFC actually did it. You can plan, you can hope, but eventually you're going to have to walk into a fanless arena and have these matches ESPN color analyst Joe Rogan was one of the few people who were there in Jacksonville. And you're about to hear the sound of a phone video he took, and it's a bizarre one. He took it as the start of the event got closer. John Annick is way over there. DC's way over there. No one's in this place. So weird. And then the event actually happened.
0: The fighters were supremely happy because... Obviously, if they don't fight, they don't get paid, and uh, they don't have any other uh, ways to get paid, so they were really excited about that. The managers were excited because they're getting paid as well. Uh, the organization was really uh, pleased, and and I think that for the most part they did a really good job. I mean, we'll only know the true ramifications of putting on these events in a couple of weeks because that's when you know the you know, I'm no doctor, but from what I've read, like you know it takes a couple of weeks for the the virus you know, to actually populate if there is, in fact. A virus in someone if they are infected, but uh, they did find out that Jacare had tested positive, and amazingly, three cards, just one fighter test positive, and and two cornermen for the same fighter. It's kind of mind blowing uh, that it went off so well, and and you know. I don't want to be uh, rude towards the fans, but I didn't miss them all that much. I actually <laughs> thought not having fans added a really fun and interesting element to the fight. You can hear the strikes. You can hear the kicks, the knees. Like the Ben Rothwell-Ovin St. Preux fight, these two big heavyweight guys kneeing each other in the stomach, I really felt like I appreciated those, those knees a lot more, right? And not just the knees, the punches, the kicks, all that stuff. Pick up the mm-hmm. That's when he turns it up. Come on, come on. Ah, Justin, Justin had that element, which... I think gave us a greater appreciation for what they go through because sometimes when it's such a loud arena, it almost gets whitewashed. I don't feel like we got a lesser product as a result of the fact that there were no fans. And, um, for the most part, I thought the fights were fun. It was great to have it back. It was a nice escape. So overall, I think everyone is really, really pleased.
3: One of the biggest questions people have around the reopening of sports involves the fans themselves. Are they going to be allowed in arenas and what do we lose without them there? These are all very reasonable questions. Ariel also does sideline work at ESPN, which includes the NBA Summer League. And his thoughts about an empty arena, especially at
0: UFC, might be a little bit surprising. You had the element of, you can hear the corners speaking in the middle of the fight, which was a lot of fun. I love that sort of thing. And I love hearing the corners in between rounds. To me, it's fascinating. And then you get the element of a Carla Barza or a Greg Hardy saying, thanks, DC. Thanks for the, the information, Daniel Cormier great fighter, analyst for the UFC. They could hear the analyst's cage side. That, to me, is fascinating as well. So you get all these little new wrinkles to the fight. And uh, honestly, you can add to it, I think Justin Gaethje at UFC 249 benefited from the fact that there were no fans in attendance because sometimes he gets a little too crazy, he gets a little too excited, and he goes from like a 7 to an 11. And I think he stayed at a 7. There was one moment in between rounds where Trevor Whitman, his coach, said, you know, Hey man, take ten percent off your punches, and he did. He didn't get too excited, and maybe Tony Ferguson actually was hurt by the fact that there were no fans because you know he gets a little too amped up when uh, when the fans are going crazy, and that's good for him. He likes it when it's a little crazy. He doesn't like it when it's mundane. So um, I thought that that was fascinating as well. And obviously, I want them back. Obviously, I miss them and I miss the energy. But I think that if anyone was worried, they shouldn't be worried anymore about that.
4: That's good to hear. If people ask why UFC, why not baseball, why not basketball, why not hockey, why UFC, is the answer the singular defiant character that is Dana White, or is it something about how MMA is constructed?
0: I think there's a few things at play here. Um, I think Dana White definitely is at play. He is a very defiant character. He's a very uh, stubborn, hard-headed guy who, you know, doesn't like to be told that he can't do something. You know, many people thought that this would be impossible for us to pull off. I am always of the mindset that nothing is impossible. We'll get this figured out. When there's a will, there's a way. So that's definitely at play. Um, I think the fact that it's individual sports, so you don't have to get you know the whole team on board and whatnot. You're kind of dealing with 1v1, one one, and I think that that helps as well. I think one of the biggest factors that helps them is there's no fighters union. There's no fighters association. And so it's no coincidence that you have WWE that's still going on. You have UFC that's going on now, and you have the NBA and... NHL and Major League Baseball who are taking their time and have to go through many different steps and hurdles in order to finally get back to playing. And so Dana White, while he is often compared to a Roger Goodell or an Adam Silver, is is not a commissioner. He's an owner. And that's a, a common misconception. And so as long as he can get 20 to 24 fighters to sign up, he's got himself a card. And if he can get a commission like the Florida State Athletic Commission to regulate it he's got an even more legit card and so he doesn't have to go through a fighters association a players union a board of governors owners all that stuff he is his own judge and jury and it's a lot easier for him to go through that process than it is for an Adam Silver or a Gary Bettman or a Roger Goodell so to me that's the biggest difference and no secret you're now seeing what NASCAR coming back right you're seeing PGA coming back you know these individual sports is not that same kind of union if you will from the athletes it's going to be a lot easier for them to get the ball rolling again, so to speak, than it is for the NBA and the NFL. You hear about the, the back and forth negotiations between the MLBPA and the owners and all that stuff. I mean, these are massive hurdles that they need to overcome. None of that is at play when it comes to the UFC.
3: It's so fascinating. UFC has fewer rules to navigate through, so it's back. And that might be the exact opposite for universities, especially at the mid-major level. Joel Godet is a 2009 Syracuse alum, and he spent the last nine years at Ball State. That's part of the Mid American Conference. And in the MAC, the budgets just aren't as big. The financial fallout from COVID 19 has hit these mid majors, hit the MAC first. Think about Bowling Green Baseball, Central Michigan Track and Field, Akron Tennis. These are all programs cut by the schools to save money over the last couple of months. Godet says it's just an acceleration of a process that's already begun.
2: Eastern Michigan a couple of years ago cut wrestling in the MAC. Old Dominion is a mid-American conference school in wrestling. Uh, They dropped their program. So, I mean, we've seen wrestling start to go extinct across the board. Ball State cut it years ago. Syracuse cut it years ago. Um, So those opportunities start to go away. And at the mid-major level, you know, it it hurts, uh, you know, particularly when you've got questions in the air with football, um, when basketball allotments from the NCAA tournament um, are not going to be nearly what they would have been um, had the you know tournament actually happened. At the mid-major level, that money is what funds athletic departments. And, you know, I'm, I'm no expert. I don't purport to be one. But I can tell you that, you know, we talk a lot about Um, you know, why can't student athletes get paid? Well, the collegiate model is a little bit different. And I think Bubba Cunningham laid this out really nicely the other day on, on a, I think it was a ringer podcast, the AD from UNC, um, you know, that money from football and from men's basketball in particular is your dominant revenue driving sports. It pays for a lot of the other things you're doing in an athletic department it pays for a lot of you know guarantee games in football pay for you know your ability to have other sport programs television revenue pays for your ability to have other sport programs and particularly at the mid major level um, that is greater than ever um, because you are not rolling in the you know 20 30 40 million dollar paydays um, like you are in the in the power fives so That's where you're going to get hit with it first, and that's unfortunate. And, uh, you know, the MAC has taken the brunt of those sport cuts. I think the majority of them right now have come in the mid
3: conference, unfortunately. One big part of this issue is the potential loss of football revenue. The college sports economy is powered by the gridiron. The top schools, think Michigan and Ohio State, they see money pour-ins from tickets and boosters and TV deals, and then those programs from football shell out the money to smaller schools. I mean, Ball State's going to play at Indiana, and I don't I don't know what the
2: monetary exchange there is this year. Um, it's part of a larger contract that included a, a neutral site game last year. Um, well, actually, technically a Ball State home game, but it was played neutrally. Um, and then, you know, there's a game at Michigan, which, again, you know, don't quote me. Um but it's over a million dollars, I think, is the payday there. So, And that's just for one day uh, of one game of college football. Um, so, yeah, I mean,
3: big time, big time money. Godet does a lot at Ball State within the athletic department. That's play-by-play. First
2: down and 10 from the 28. Play action. Plitt looking deep down the far sideline again. Over the shoulder and
3: caught. Riley Miller. Give him six. Touchdown. He stayed in bounds. It's also video work and mentoring students.
2: Being in a place where there's a great broadcast school is cool as a broadcaster just because there's great broadcasters. Um, so it's great to see guys. Um... You know, go through that process that you know you've been through before, and be able to answer questions and and be able to you know help create some opportunities. You know, I'm in a position where I assign people for games on you know our ESPN Plus, ESPN three if there are certain openings and I can't do them. Um, so to be able to to give opportunities to people that have earned it um, is cool. Um, to be able to work with people. Side reporters is cool. Um, you know, I've done baseball with people in the past where they've done middle innings for me. That's cool. Uh, so to to be able to to be in a position where you can, in probably the smallest of ways, impact other people um, is is, it is it's like it's a it's a weird intoxicating feeling to feel like you're you're giving back, if only in the smallest of manners.
3: For Alex Perlman, who heard from earlier the learning experience for him had to do with actually broadcasting on his olympics coverage to call speed skating you have to know speed skating
1: you work with um, what you've got and the resources i was lucky enough um, to do with dan jansen who's a gold medal winner and at the top of the sport in the 80s and 90s Um, so i i would watch world cup uh, events which were luckily broadcast on the olympic channel and um, you know learn different tendencies and learn who these these athletes are they're all absolutely incredible um, and if I had a question rules wise or uh, strategy wise I would text Dan or call Dan and um, and that was kind of the way I, I approached it and talked to obviously um, people that had done it in the past and that's really all you can do to prepare yourself um, and once you get there you know we did a couple of test runs just to Get everything in order. Make sure everything was working, and that we had our our cadences down. Me and Dan and. Um just went for it 50 meters to go as he crosses the finish line and wins it a new olympic record for sven cromer at six oh nine seventy six, and he is the first male speed skater to ever win the same individual event in three straight olympic games you make it happen and that's that that's what i wanted to do um it was interesting doing speed skating on the radio because you know, speed skating is two different skaters going around the oval at the same time. They're switching lanes. Yes, but it's a time trial. So it, you know, the last pairing doesn't necessarily um, guarantee that's where the winner is going to come from. It could come from the third to last. It could come from the eighth to last, you know, in the middle, uh, generally it doesn't work that way, but it could. Um, so you figured out, you know, different ways, like as they go to the turn or, you know, you try to describe what they're doing, how they look, are they, are they labored or is it, does it look like they're free and easy to the finish? And you kind of learn over time what it looks like when a guy's running out of gas or, or you know, or a woman is, is uh, just absolutely blowing past and, and is going to have all the energy left in the tank.
3: Pearlman's had a chance to be a part of the games and understand exactly what that means to the athletes and the world the postponement of the olympics this year was necessary but that doesn't make it less stunning before this year the games have been canceled three times once during world war one and twice during world war ii now the focus turns to 2021
1: we're going to come back stronger and, and everybody, you know, says that, but I firmly believe it and the Olympics will be a chance. I think by next summer, hopefully, you know, we're going to be past all of this. And, um, even if there's no vaccine, we're going to at least have a better way to deal with it and a better way to quarantine and, and contact tracing and all that and all the buzzwords that, that you hear nowadays, uh, that we never even thought to put in our lexicon at all, but we are going to
3: have a, a, a global gathering and it's going to be pretty amazing. Pierre de Coubertin, he proposed the revival of the Olympics in the late 1800s, said this, quote, the most important thing in the Olympic Games is not winning, but taking part. The essential thing in life is not conquering, but fighting well. The restart and the return of sports is just part of the fight. Thanks for joining us for our eighth episode. Also, a huge thank you to Alex Perlman, Ariel Helwani, and Joel Godet for their time. This was a WAER Sports Podcast produced by Carl Moglein, along with reporting from Jenna Fink, Gil Gross, and Corey Barbarian. I'm Cooper Boardman, and we'll talk to you next week.